Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric, aka Suwior, and today we are going to be talking about the big bad of ESO. Today we are going to be talking about Molag Ball. And I gotta say, there are a few times where I'm very glad that I don't live in the world of Tamriel. And uh, Molag Ball, dealing with him is definitely one of those. Like, if he actually existed in our world, I don't think I would want to go outside. Um, he just terrifies me that much. But uh, before we get to talking about him, there is a little bit of news. Not a ton. Today is actually going to be kind of a, a light news day. But we do have a little bit, so... First off, um, there was a video that was posted on YouTube that I've seen around, and it is the documentary, Hey, You're Finally Awake, where nine of the developers recount the making of Skyrim. Um, it's definitely a watch. Uh, definitely, definitely worth a watch if uh, you're interested. So I am going to be putting that in the show notes. Next up is an article from ESO's studio director. It's kind of a, a 2021 retrospective just on all of the things that happened in the past year and uh, kind of a little bit of a look forward. So they haven't announced what the next event is, um, the next year-long story arc. But um, after this, uh, I'm really excited to see what else they've brought or they will bring. So they've kind of looked back at the last few of the mainline games. Like they started out with Morrowind, then they went to you know Skyrim last year, and then this year they went to Oblivion. Um, like they revisited Oblivion with the Deadlands and Mayrun's Dagon. And I I don't know what else they would want to do. I mean, they could. I, I mean, Daggerfall is already in the game. Um, Arena, you basically went around to the entire map. You know, certain places around the map. I don't know what they would do next. It probably wouldn't be kind of a, a throwback to one of the mainline games so yeah i'm i'm kind of curious as to what they will bring next as the as a year-long story arc so yeah um again all of these articles are going to be in the show notes so i do like i've said on this show and i think i've said this on Nintendo also I get these articles suggested to me nowadays because I search for Nintendo news and Elder Scrolls news where they're like hey you might find this interesting and this is this and one of my other articles is the case with that and this one that I've got here shows a mod that replaces the locks in Skyrim with uh, more bizarre or what they would call beautiful ones. So it the article kind of says like 
you know, these chests, you know, they think it's weird that every lock in Skyrim looks exactly the same. So over your career as the Dragonborn, you'll pick locks from hundreds of doors, chests, crypts, and other containers that come from different cultures. Like, why would the locks in a Dwemer ruin, like a Dwemer chest, be the same as one in a Nordic ruin or, you know, a Falmer chest? Why would the locks look the same for that? So it replaces the locks with ones that they feel are more appropriate. And it's got a little video in the article that shows what a lot of these locks look like. So this mod, I'm not sure if this mod is on console or not. So it also says there's a version for Skyrim VR. So I am kind of curious about this. The mod is called security lock overhaul variants so there's also um security lock i'm sorry security overhaul add-ons so yeah i'm not seeing if this mod is on xbox or playstation or not but it's definitely on Nexus, so I guess I will try and find it myself because I think it's kind of interesting just seeing what a lot of these locks look like. I mean, the mechanics are the same for them. It just changes what they look like. But I am definitely going to be looking for this on Xbox, and I guess I will update you guys on whether or not I can find it. So there you go. Um, well, hopefully I'll remember to... <laughs> All right, another article that was suggested to me from Google, because I, I get notifications on my phone from these articles. So this article talks about the 10 most iconic locations from the Elder Scrolls. And this is, I, I should say that this is this guy's opinion. Um, now, that I definitely agree with some of them, but you kind of... Uh, he didn't really add any locations from like Morrowind or obviously definitely not Daggerfall or Arena. So a lot of these are from Oblivion and Skyrim. Okay, I take that back. There is one from Morrowind. One. Um, but they didn't add any from ESO. So this article is from thegamer.com and the author is sam hallahan so let's go let's go through this and you know it's just it's just fun to talk about these sort of things so number 10 is bleak falls barrow from skyrim and i i do agree with that because you it's one of the first things that you see when you're out of the tutorial dungeon and you're on your way to Riverwood, like the first village that you come to in Skyrim, aside from Helgen. So, and just the look on the outside, it, it, it's pretty iconic seeing that stairwell with those pillars going up the side of the mountain. So, I do agree that that deserves to be on the list. So, next up is Sovngarde. Number nine is Sovngarde. Uh, the immortal plane in Skyrim, obviously. Um, and I, I do agree that this deserves to be on there. I don't know if I would... So I, I guess it's just 
you know, locations from the Elder Scrolls series. So you hear about Sovngarde so much in Skyrim that once you finally get there, it is really cool to see. And I've mentioned this on the show a few times where if certain NPCs in Skyrim die before you get there, you can actually find them in Sovngarde. And then you also find some people from you know history that have been long since passed like you can fi- actually find Ysgrimor and uh, Olaf One-Eye who you hear about from you know Nordic legend but you can actually go and find them in Sovngarde so I thought that was really cool all right next up is number eight uh, it is Cloud Ruler Temple in Oblivion, so Cyrodiil, and this is the hidden temple of the Blades that uh, you escape to once you rescue Martin Septim from the destruction of Kodvach. So, yeah, I think that deserves to be on there. Uh, number seven is High Hi- Hrothgar in Skyrim. So this is the temple of the Greybeards. Uh, So they are the hidden monks who just kind of look down upon the world and wait for another Dragonborn to come along. And here you are. So number six is the uh, Shivering Isles in Oblivion. And to my knowledge, this is one of the first times you get to extensively explore a Daedric Prince's Realm of Oblivion that's not Meirun's Dagon. So this is the Daedric Plain of Sheagorath. So the pocket of Oblivion that is attributed to Sheagorath. And it was really cool to go and explore that extensively. So when you're in Cyrodiil, the colors of the wilds of Cyrodiil are pretty basic. It's a lot of plains, a lot of woods, a lot of... I mean, there's some swamps once you get around Leowen. There's, you know, because Leowen kind of shares a border with black marsh but all in all the color scheme is pretty plain a lot of browns a lot of greens at least with Marwind, it was varied a lot more where you've got giant mushrooms and things like that but the color schemes in the shivering isles are a lot more colorful based on what part of you know, the Shivering Isles you're in, whether you're in Mania or Dementia. Dementia is very dreary. And, but it was really cool, and it stood out in the game in a good way. So, <laughs> and then how do you not love Shagorath? So, alright, number five is Black Reach in Skyrim. A lot of these come from Skyrim, so, um, yeah, I definitely would call Black Reach iconic. Number four is the Deadlands that I was just talking about in the uh, Mirren's Dagon uh, episode. So, (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I've already talked a lot about the Deadlands, so let's move on. Number three is Vivek City in Morrowind. This is the one Morrowind um, location that is on this list. And so this is specifically Vivek City in the game Morrowind. So it, it is pretty like, distinctive looking. So it's a lot of buildings built onto this big body of water and there are bridges that connect them and the, the buildings usually have two or three levels that you can go through and in it's pretty cool in ESO when you go to Vardenfell you get to see this city being built so there's they're still working on a lot of the cantons that you see in the game Morrowind. And Vivek City also houses uh, Vivek himself. So, and then there's also a giant asteroid that's floating above this city. So yeah, I, I, it does deserve to be on the list. I wish more Morrowind locations were on this list. And number two is White Gold Tower in the Imperial City in Cyrodiil. So that is actually an alien structure but you can see it from miles away. In fact, if I remember right, there's some sort of cheat in Skyrim where you can go really, really, really high up in the sky and you can actually see White Gold Tower out in the distance. That's how large this is. That's how tall White Gold Tower is. And it's really cool to see it in ESO also. So, yeah, number one is the city of Whiterun in... Skyrim. Again, another Skyrim location. Um, I agree that White One is a really cool city to run around. Um, there's a lot of places to visit in there, whether it's the Bannered Mare, the Skyforge, um, the Dragon's Reach. So, yeah. Um, so that is that list. Um, it's a shame that so many Skyrim... I mean, yeah, there are a lot of Skyrim locations that are pretty iconic, but um, I wish that some other places were included as well. So, next up is an article from the Elder Scrolls on, um, dot com where it talks about a Blades update. So, if you're interested in that, I'll include that in the show notes. Um, I'm not sure how many people play Blades these days. But basically, it's just talking about their winter update. A lot of games have a Christmas, you know, overlay that they put on for this time of year. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody, by the way. I don't, I mean, my next episode is going to be after the holidays. Um, and then next, the final article that I've got listed here is talking about the New Life Festival in-game event for ESO. Um, this is what they do every year. There's, you know, I think it's cool that they have an event for this time of year. So it starts Thursday, uh, December 16th at 10 a.m. and it goes through Tuesday, January 4th at 10 a.m. So and this is Eastern Standard Time. So this is... Um, U.S. time. So, yeah, that you uh, give and receive, so you, you know, get a gift box. You, you do the quest, you get a gift box, and there's a bunch of 
motifs and mementos and things like that that are included. So I don't remember if I've done a new life event. I think I have. Um, I did see another article. I didn't really include it, but because I, I think it's this person's opinion, but it talks about all the different provinces of Tamriel and what their um, IRL counterpart would be. So it, I don't know if people would be interested in that or not. If you are, let me know and I'll find the article. But it was like, okay, let's see. Um, High Rock would be Great Britain. Um, Black Marsh would be this region. Uh, Valenwood would be the Amazon. Um, I want to say that Black Marsh was also Brazil or something like I can't remember. I don't have the article in front of me right here. Um, I just didn't know how appropriate or if, if some people would be like, hey, that's not right. So I didn't include it in the show notes. But like I said, if you are interested in hearing or seeing that, uh, just Google it. I, it popped up in my notifications a couple of times. I thought I included it, but I guess I didn't. So, yeah, that is... Um, actually, no, I do have it here. Um, I thought I, I pasted it in my show notes. So, yeah, Skyrim is Scandinavia, obviously, you know, nor, you know Nordic culture. Um, Cyrodiil would be Italy. And it just... Uh, I, I don't know, I've never been to Italy, but it, it said that Cyrodiil is... Uh, specifically Italy around the time of the Roman Empire. I guess that makes sense with the Empire. Uh, Morrowind is Japan, I guess. Um, It specifically compares Red Mountain to, I think it's Mount Fuji in Japan. Um, Let's see, Hammerfell is Northern Africa, like the Sahara area. Um, Yeah, High Rock is Britain and France. Black Marsh is the Panatel. Um, I'm not familiar with the Panatel. Um, yeah, it is in, mainly in Brazil and Bolivia and Paraguay. Um, okay, so elsewhere is India. And then Somerset Isles, that would be China, I guess. I, I don't know. I, and then, yeah, Valenwood is the Amazon. So... Yeah, how accurate this is, I, I'm not sure. So, th- like I said, this is just this author's opinion. This is another article from thegamer.com. That's probably why I didn't notice it at first. And the art, the um, author is Justin Pietrodarki. I, I think I pronounced that correctly. I probably butchered it. Anyway, uh, that is it for the news. Uh, let's get into my gameplay. We've already been going for about 20 minutes here just talking about the news a lot longer than i expected to talk about the news but yeah let's get into my gameplay so i have been playing skyrim quite a bit um i've been trying to go through all of the creation club stuff and i was wondering why i hadn't gotten the quests to explore the alien ruins because that was something that i was definitely looking forward to and I guess you have to be level 46 to get the letter that starts the quest. 
So I've done a lot of other stuff. Like I said, I, I was doing the um, Riverwood Manor playthrough, and I kind of got stuck on that because I couldn't, for the life of me, find the trigger for the final room where you get the treasure and fight the final boss. Well, I did eventually find it. Like, I did everything else. I had explored all of the caves. I explored the ice cave. I explored the sewers. And I could not find the damn switch. And so I went through. There's a trap door behind where your horse carriage is on the property. And I remembered it being in there somewhere so I eventually found it behind some hanging moss there's a pole chain so it's not even in the same area it's in a completely different area in that part of the cave system so yeah I, I did kick the guy's ass and it gives you a bunch of sets of armor and some weapons like it gives you like two sets of dragon bone armor a set of daedric armor it gives you a couple of uh, dragon bone swords it gives you a dragon born uh, dragon bone bow um a bunch of gold on top of everything else they give you in this mod it gives you a ton of shit and it gives you a place to you know store all this stuff like it gives you a bunch of mannequins and wall plaques what have you um and, I mean, there's a lot of books that it gives you, too, so it gives you a place to store all that stuff, so thankfully. Otherwise, you're constantly going to be over-encumbered. Um, I somehow also found a spell to increase my encumbrance level by a thousand, so that definitely helps the fact that it's actually a spell. Um, I, I downloaded, like, I, I looked at someone's mod list, and I picked and chose what ones I found interesting. So I found one that revamps the mages or the yeah, the College of Winterhold. And it I also found one that adds a bunch of um like students because it's kind of empty to be honest. So I went through and I explored that and I also found one that retextured a bunch of people's face models and hair uh, just to make it a little bit more interesting so the problem that i have with the one and i i think it was jessica star that i talked to about this because this was a mod that she had um is that a lot of the texts ends up looking like blocks and there's it adds like potions and things like that but i don't know what the hell they are because the names of them are all blocks and I said something to her about it, and she said it's always worked for her. So I don't know if it's just not working well with another mod. Like, it hasn't crashed on me, thank God. But, um, yeah, I'm having... It, it's not a huge deal, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Um, I also added a mod that makes the kids more distinctive. Like, it changes their character models. Because um, one of the things that I was really looking forward to before this game came out was I wanted to see what elven kids looked like. I wanted to see what Khajiit kids looked like, you know, Argonian kids, orc kids. 
And we got a bunch of human kids in the vanilla version of the game. So I added a mod that changes that. So I do have a mod that has Khajiit kids and Argonian kids, specifically in a couple of places. Like, so the Khajiit kids are with the traveling caravans. And the Argonian kids work off the docks of Windhelm. So, um, but yeah, the kids all look dis distinctive also. And it's not just Nordic looking kids. Um, I always thought it was weird that Aventius Arantino, who starts the Dark Brotherhood quest line, has an imperial looking name, but according to his, uh, his code, he's a Nord. So it's always Nord kids. And I thought that was kind of a, a letdown. So yeah, of course I included a mod that changed that. I also downloaded a mod that adds another player home because you can never have enough player homes. Um, it is this, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's like Winterberry. I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's uh, kind of a, a manner that you can also hire people to work for you. So you go up to an NPC and they're like, about Wonderberry? And they're like, yes. And they're like, you want to work for me? And most of the time they're like, nah, no thank you. Um, sometimes you do get people that'll say yes. Like Tolf Deer from the College of Winterhold is now working at that manor. So I have to remember that because uh, that's where he will be. Excuse me while I take a sip of my coffee. Um, also... I'm trying to remember what other mods that I included or downloaded, I should say. I want to find a mod that kind of revamps the Dark Brotherhood in the same way that the College of Winterhold gets revamped because I, I just. There was a mod for Oblivion called uh, A Brotherhood Renewed where they talk about how there's a, there were a bunch of other Dark Brotherhood sanctuaries in Cyrodiil but you never saw them until you downloaded this mod and there's a Dark Brotherhood sanctuary outside of every other major city in Cyrodiil but they're infested with something whether it's ghosts or zombies or what have you so you have to go and clear them out and then a bunch of NPCs show up and join the Dark Brotherhood um, I'm not asking for something like that, but I just wanted the Dark Brotherhood in Skyrim to be a little bit more interesting rather than go here, kill this person. You know, and don't get me wrong, some of those missions were really fun, but I just think it, think it needs a little bit more. And so I hopefully I will find a mod that does that. Um, a lot of the other mods that I got were just kind of texture mods, like I said. Um, I mean, I think I have one that kind of revamps Kynes Grove and some other places. I do have, I did get a mod that said it adds a lot of cut content to the game. I haven't really seen anything about that yet. Oh, I did get a couple of mods that add new places to explore. Like there's an island by Solstheim that you can travel to. And there's a quest line that goes along with that. So, I haven't done those yet. There's a couple of mods that I got that were like that. I think one was called, like, Worms, Wormsmore. W-Y-R-M-S-M-O-O-R. I could be wrong on the name, but it's something to that extent. So, 
that's really about it as far as Skyrim. I've done some of the main quests. Like, I finally um, took down the dragon that was attacking Kynes Grove, speaking of. Um, done a, like, I've just done a lot of the other quests. Like, I've, I started the Dark Brotherhood. I've started the Thieves Guild. I took out... Um, I did the, the Thieves Guild quest where you go to Golden Glow Estate. So, yeah, I've started doing some of the vanilla quests also. But, yeah, that's really it as far as Skyrim now Oblivion. Not Oblivion. Um, ESO. I have continued in that. I remember telling you guys that I would gotten stuck because I couldn't find a way through this gate. I did finally find a way through that damn gate. And I've continued on with the quest line. I'm still doing it. I'm still working on it. I haven't finished it. Um, the Deadlands. So, yeah, I'm still continuing that. It's been fun. So I'm definitely going to keep going with that. I've played a little bit more of Mass Effect Andromeda. Not a ton. I've uh, kind of stopped on that. I'm definitely going to keep playing it. I, on, I'm still on Elos, and I need to start terraforming it to make it more... Um, uh, habitable, habitable, um, where you can actually live there. Um, it's still early. I'm sorry, words are hard. Um, yeah, where you can actually live on that planet because there was an issue with the atmosphere. Um, other games that I've been playing, I've played the. Um, I've started playing Angry Video Game Nerd games. Uh, if you know me, you know that. I've been a fan of the Angry Video Game Nerd since I discovered him in either late 2006 or sometime in 2007. I can't remember. It's been a while. But I've followed him ever since. And um, what can I say about those games? Um, be prepared to die a lot. Um, they are fun. They are cool to see and cool to play. Uh, they're definitely a throwback to the NES days. But um, I'm playing on easy because uh, otherwise there's continues and shit like that and I just want to play the game so and like I said you will die a lot and <laughs> um, I think it it counted my deaths I beat the first game and I had over 150 deaths in the first game so yeah and there's actually an achievement for reaching 100 deaths so uh, there's that. Um, other than that, I've been playing Fallout 76 again. Um, I was on Scorecation for a while, and I remember saying in the last episode that I wasn't really looking forward to Scorecation being over with the new scoreboard starting, but I must say that this new event with the Mothman Equinox is pretty fun. Um, and I, I have been doing the new scoreboard stuff. There's a couple of dailies that I haven't really cared for, like collecting 100 uh, script, which is hard to do um, unless you find three-star weapons. I mean, you do get some one-star, maybe two-star weapons doing the Mothman Equinox sometimes, or finding a Mothman cultist hidden somewhere where you get one of their treasure bags. Sometimes you'll get weapons in that, but still, usually they're one-star or maybe two-star weapons. And if you trade in a one-star weapon, it's only five script. So you either have to have enough 
legendary modules to upgrade a normal weapon or a one or two star weapon to a three star, then you get 40. But still, it's three of those that you have to sell to get 100 scripts. So thankfully, it's not been a challenge every single day. And as far as getting 50 gold bullion, that's not hard. Um, you can do one of the daily quests and do that. But then, again, you have to do one of the daily quests to get the gold bullion, to get the treasury notes for that. So that's kind of frustrating. But other than that, um, the scoreboard's been pretty fun so far. Some of the... Um, I'm really looking forward to some of the rewards this time. The last couple of scoreboards, the rewards haven't been that interesting until you get towards the end. So this one seems to be better. And um, another thing that I should say, and normally I don't talk about Fallout 76 this much because I save that for tapes from the waste that I do with KDB. But um, another thing that um, I really, that I came across that I, I really enjoyed is I don't normally play these games with other people. I normally play them solo. But I was playing over the weekend, I think this was Saturday, and I played quite a bit um, on Saturday. Not just doing the dailies or the weeklies or whatever, but just doing the Mothman Equinox quest. And I happened to see Andrew from the Fallout feed online. And I was like, oh cool, you know, maybe I'll run into him. And, you know, we happen to be in the same world the same server not well server you know world yeah i think it's world um server would be xbox you know playstation what have you yeah so we were on the same world and i happened to run into him doing the mothman equinox quest and it was cool you know i ran past him i you know did the little waving emoji and he waved back so we went about our ways doing the the event, which, thank God, this event doesn't end quickly because there was one point where I got disconnected. Um, we recently switched our internet because this kept happening where my internet would flicker in and out. It's good now, um, but it was really frustrating there for a while. But yeah, it happened during a Mothman Equinox event, and I, you know, the event goes long enough to where I was able to log back in and I was able to continue doing it. Um, but I think it happened to Andrew during the event also because at one point I was running past him and he was just hanging there in midair. I actually posted a picture of this on their Discord. And yeah, he just hung there in midair and then he disappeared. So I, I thought that was really funny. But um, later on that evening, I hopped on again and I happened to see Jessica Starr online. I was like, oh, great. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I can find her and we can run around doing some quests. So I joined her world and I noticed, I was looking around for her and I couldn't find her until I noticed this camp down toward the bottom of the map. And there were a ton of people there. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, what's going on? And I come to find out later on that it was an Elgato pub event. And, you know, one of her friends, uh, Shreds, you know, runs the Elgato pub. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not invited to this. They didn't invite me to this, so I don't want to be that guy. So I just ran around finishing my weeklies. 
And, you know, an hour or two later, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna join. So it turned out, like I said, it turned out that they were doing one of their, you know, events that they do. I didn't realize that this was what it was. Like, I, I saw it, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I've heard them talk about this. It was their Rock'em Sock'em Power Armor event. So basically, it's boxing matches in Power Armor. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know what? Yeah, sure. I'm just going to join. I'm just going to go watch. And if they kick me out, they kick me out. And not everybody was in Power Armor, which I thought was kind of funny. And it wasn't always the person in Power Armor that won. So, you know, I watched a few boxing matches uh, in this. And I happened to see Jessica Starr, you know, standing over there next to the ring and Shred's camp, the, the camp that they use for this, actually has stands that look down. It looks like you're in a stadium where there are stands. And I sat down on one of the benches because they had benches, they had theater chairs, you know, things like that that you could sit down on and watch. And I sat down on one of the benches. And Jessica Starr at one point looked up and saw me. And I was like, okay, here we go. But no, she was totally cool like she saw me she recognized me and she ran up like she jumped up the stands and ran over and gave me the little heart emoji and i was like great you know cool and then she went back to cheering on the people so yeah that was uh that was cool she made me feel welcome there you know and yeah i guest on their podcast every so often but i wasn't technically invited (laughs) to I just kind of crashed their party but still she made me feel welcome so that was really nice of her to do that so anyway um I think that's really it as far as my gameplay uh I downloaded the force unleashed star wars the force unleashed not too long ago and I started playing that um because I had it when I had my playstation 3 but I didn't get that far I played a little bit of that and apparently I woke my wife up um raging at one of the spots but still it's fun uh makes you feel like a badass playing that game so anyway i that is it as far as my gameplay and uh let's head into the lore segment and talk about moag ball guys let's talk Molag ball and there is a lot to get to here because he has been pretty active throughout the years so of course all of this info comes from the UESP article and this one starts with a quote it is from Flaccus Terentius that's a hell of a name it says indiscriminate death set upon by the gnawing and the rabid Cyrodiil's candle flickers and is snuffed. Servants and superiors, no one is spared the sharp tooth, rigid blade, or diseased hook, barb, or beak. And Molag Ball will watch from his palace in Cold Harbor where everything stares back at him with his own face. And he will gloat and mock and gorge on the souls of mortals. Uh, I'd say that's a pretty accurate <laughs> description um, not just of Molag Ball himself, but uh, you get to see a little bit of Cold Harbor in there. Yeah, a lot of the statues 
in Cold Harbor do bear Moak Ball's face. So there are a lot of other names that people know Moak Ball by. Um, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm probably not going to read all of these. But uh, there's Stonefire, or literally Firestone in the Ahinofe language. Um, he is the Daedric Prince whose sphere is the domination and enslavement of mortals. His ultimate goal is to harvest the souls of all mortals, bringing them within his sway and by spreading seeds of strife and discord in the mortal realms. To this end, he is obsessively collecting soul gems and even dragged pieces of Nern into his realm to satisfy his insatiable desire for conquest. The more souls he collects, the more he wants. So that's actually kind of what the main quest line in ESO is, is he's trying to drag Nern into Cold Harbor. So if you're traveling through parts of Nern, you will find these um, areas called Dolmen, uh, where there are kind of like world boss spots, and in the base game areas, it's what they are, is there are events where you'll find these dark anchors come down from the sky, and they're literally trying to pull Tamriel into Cold Harbor. And so you have to fight off a bunch of Molag Ball's minions, and then um, he'll give up for the time being for at least 10, 15 minutes before the next event starts. So, um, yeah, so I, that's it's kind of interesting that it mentions that here. So um, it mentions the fact that he is the father of so, several children, though it's unclear as to what those relationships mean to him. So he has a son named Azuzak. Azazakar, um, I think it's, it's a weird looking word. Um, he's a Daedric Titan. He also has a daughter named Molag Grunda, who is a winged twilight. And you actually meet uh, Molag Grunda in ESO. Um, you have to kill her. <laughs> um, so she took the lowly frost Etronach, uh, Nomeg Gwai, as her consort. Uh, Moak Ball did not approve of this relationship, and he had them both banished to oblivion to where he could punish them from eternity. Um, there's a persistent legend about Haman Cameron, uh, where he claims that he is the progeny of Moak Ball and a Breton woman. So, Moak Ball's enemies are Ebon Arm, of course, uh, Boethia, so if you've played Skyrim, you know that he hates Boethia, uh, Meridia which we talked about a little bit in the Meridia episode. LeMay Ball, um, who is... Give me a second here. Uh, LeMay Ball is a Nedic priestess of Arche who transformed into the first vampire sometime uh, between the Merithic era, era and the second century of the first era. So um, she is the prognator of the strain of vampirism caused by Naxfelic uh, Sanguinvoria. And she is the enemy of both Molagbal and Arke. So I, I, that makes sense because Arke is kind of the um, god of the dead, I guess. He, he, is, he takes it. We, yeah, go check out the RK episode that I did when I was doing the Aedra. So, yeah, there's a whole uh, article dedicated to LeMay Ball. 
and we'll definitely talk about Molag Ball's connection to vampires here in, in a bit here. Um, there's an entire part of this article that talks about Molag Ball's titles. Um, I don't, there's a, a ton here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but uh, there are the Lord of Brutality, the Prince of Domination, Lord of Domination, Harvester of Souls, God of Schemes, um, King of Rape, uh, which, <laughs> um, so that is the title used in the Living God Vivek's sermons. So Vivek actually gave Molag Ball that title. It draws upon Molag Ball's brutal nature. And the Elder Spirit of Domination and Supreme Law is a moniker derived from the epistles of Amandro, the ancient Khajiit priest who committed the names of the old Khajiit deities to paper. Um, there's also Molag the Slave Lord. Uh, it's a nickname used by Ferastus Elnif here. I think is how you pronounce that. In his lecture on the nature of Molag Ball's plane of oblivion, Cold Harbor. The name is in reference to Molag Ball's voracious desire to amass unfathomable amounts of souls and his tendency to enslave those whose souls he comes into possession of. So there's also the Schemer, the Prince of Pain, the Captain of Corruption, um, Dark Father, Father of Vampires, Lord of the Undead, Father of the Undead, or of Undeath, sorry. Um, so that are those are a bunch of titles derived from his association with vampires and the undead. Like I said, I'll be talking about that here in a little bit. Um, Lord of Lies, Lord of Darkness, Dark Master, Dread Lord. So yeah, tons and tons of titles attributed to Molag Ball. So it's interesting, you know. A lot of the times when I think of uh, Daedric princes who are main antagonists, I think of Maynard's Dagon, but in a lot of ways, I think Moag Ball surpasses Maynard's Dagon as far as uh, just the scope of everything he tries to do. Like, yeah, Moag or uh, Mo Maynard's Dagon is constantly trying to find a way to invade Tamriel physically and destroy it. Um, kind of bring about a new uh, Kelpa, but Molag Ball just wants to control everything. He, he wants to be the ruler of not just Cold Harbor, but all of you know, Mundus and Aetherius. So let's talk about how people who choose to worship Molag Ball do so. So in the article here, there's a picture of a shrine to Molag Ball in Vardenfell. Um, this is in the game ESO. So it says here that cultists that worship Molag Ball often perform live unwilling sacrifices to please their god. So you actually do see this in ESO. So um, when you first, when ESO first came out, you started in Cold Harbor, like you'd already been sacrificed. And you come to find out that once you do escape Cold Harbor, that you weren't able to regain control of your soul. So, Molag Ball still has your soul. So that is where the whole title of the Vestige comes from. But since then, there have been several updates to the game. And you don't start out in Cold Harbor. You start out in whatever area, um, like based on when you start playing the game. So if you... If you 
got it with the recent Blackwood uh, expansion. You start out in an area of Blackwood, and like before, you would start out in, in you know Greymore or some starting dungeon, but you don't start out in Cold Harbor anymore. And it's part of the main quest line to where you actually get this invitation to meet up with somebody, and that is when you, you can actually watch yourself get sacrificed and then you get transported to cold harbor so it gives the whole vestige title that much more oomph to where you actually watch yourself get sacrificed so yeah you actually get to see this happen now in eso where you are an unwilling sacrifice to please moag ball so this belief is held highly by the Dermora who serve the word of lies the aforementioned cultists use dark magic and necromancy as a tool profaning the dead and using them to bring Moagbal further towards his ultimate goal. Cunning, deception, and subterfuge are just as valued by the prince as brutality is. Thus, bribery, blackmail, and extortion are common tools of the Stonefire cult. So that is one of the cults that worship Moagbal. Groups such as the Fenwitches of Hjalmarch engage in practices such as child abduction to bolster their ranks. Those unaffiliated with the cult who worship, who wish to contact the prince may offer a lion's pelt at a shrine dedicated to Malak Ball. This practice has been observed in Cyrodiil. Um, I don't remember if I've done... I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've done Malak Ball's... Um, Daedric Prince quest in Oblivion, but I don't really remember it. But that, but I'm guessing like in in Oblivion, you have to offer a bunch of things at their shrine. So I'm guessing Alliance Pelt is one of the things you have to leave at Molak Ball Shrine in Oblivion. So um, here's another quote here from Flaminius. Actor, it says, Moakbal reveres in direct destruction. His cultists will set your city on fire and burn it to the ground. Moakbal exists to dominate and deceive. His cultists will persuade you that a plague is loose, and the only way to stop it is to burn the city down yourself. So, another uh, way that Moakbal likes to manipulate people. So here's a little bit about another one of Molag Ball's cults. It's called the Order of the Black Worm. It served Molag Ball during the Plain Meld. So the Plain Meld is what I was talking about, about how Molag Ball was trying to merge Cold Harbor with Nern. So the Order was a prime group, a prime example of a group that wielded necromancy in Molag Ball's name. In addition to raising an undead army in the wake of the Plain Meld, the cult participated in the Plain Meld in force, carrying out many schemes in his name. Additionally, they sacrificed thousands of souls to the Dacre Prince, and they were responsible for constructing and activating the dolmens where the dark anchors were to be dro- to be dropped. Excuse me. That's what I was talking about. Those anchors that uh, Molag Ball was throwing in to uh, hook Nern and pull it into Cold Harbor. Those are called Dark Anchors. And yeah, I was talking about the the dolmens. That's the word that was kind of escaping my brain there for a second. But yeah, that's what those areas are called. They're called dolmens. And uh, yeah, dolmen dolmen, uh, hunting is kind of fun. That's actually something I did. It's It's a good way to level up early on when you're playing ESO is to stand and wait at a dolmen and you'll see people who 
just wait there. Um, they'll they'll go through one of the dolmen events and then they'll just wait for it to restart. So people will get out lutes and play music and other people will dance to the music. It, it's fun um, just sitting there and, uh, dolmen hunting with a group of people. So here's another uh, article, another part of the article here about uh, Molag Ball worship. So Molag Ball will bless his followers with undeath under certain certain circumstances during the plain mail the order of the black worms allied themselves with the stone talon rage claw and bone shaper reach clans in exchange for the release of the ancient giant simner or sinmer so s-i-n-m-u-r the order promised to bless the clans with the torch transforming the regemen and turning them into undead monstrosities known as the graveborn the Bone Shaper Patriarch Stry Blackthroat underwent the transformation himself within certain uh, within nearby ruins, gaining immense power. Molag Ball has also rewarded his followers with immortality in return for sacrificing innocence in his name. Those who offer themselves willingly to Molag Ball from beyond the grave may have pleasure the pleasure of being transformed into an undead abomination be it a flaming bone colossus or some other monstrous creatures. I don't know why that was so hard to say. Yeah, you find bone colossuses quite a bit in ESO. There's actually quite a few that I've fought in uh, the Deadlands. So they're not just attributed to Molag Ball, but also Maelin and Stagon. So let's talk about the first era. About uh, let's, yeah, let's go through things that Molag Ball has actually done in recorded history here. So yeah, we're starting with the first era here. So there's a picture here in the article that shows the remains of the All Flags Navy. So sometime in the first era, Molag Ball made a pact with King Stryrich, uh, Styrich, S-T-Y-R-I-C-H-E, Styrich, Styrich, I have no idea, um, of Verkarth, a powerful vampire and the leader of the Grey Host. So if you've played ESO uh, during the... Um, Greymore expansion, they deal with the Greyhost quite a bit. And at that point in time, this is secondary 582, they thought that the Greyhost had long since been gone. So the terms of their agreement eventually brought the 13 of the Greyhost exarchs into Cold Harbor, where they were tortured for eternity by the Data Prince. Rada Asaran, that name sounds familiar to me. He is in ESO, actually. Um, in the um, there's specifically you deal with him in the last part of the Greymore expansion. Um, shit, the name is escaping me at the moment. I want to say it's the it's not Markarth, um, but there is one part of the uh, Greymore expansion that you deal with Rada Alsaran. He is known as the last known surviving leader of the Grey Host and sought to free his kin from Cold Harbor in Secondary 582 with the help of the Ice Reach Coven. At some point Molek Ball um, worshipping Aeliad uh, a, so let me back up here. At some point, a Molag Ball worshipping Aeliad clan that lived in the Green Shade uh, ceased making offerings to the prince at the Moonhenge, and their city was consumed in, in blue fire and transported to Cold Harbor. So uh, he is credited with the creation of two species of Daedra, both involved in his experiments in his facility known as the Vile Laboratory. So the 
Zviken and the Daedric Titan are products of his fascination with the vestigial hybridization and the dragon's dominion over mortal kind, respectively. Both of these species were released upon the people of Tamriel for the first time during Molagbal's invasion of Nurn. In First Era 2260, the All Flags Navy sailed to Thross to defeat the Slowed. The Slowed Coral Tower was destroyed during the siege, causing it to plunge into the sea. The maelstrom of Baal opened up in the wake of the tower's fall, and a large chunk of the fleet was pulled beneath the Ebysian Sea into Cold Harbor. Molagbal appeared before the wreckage and struck a deal with the leader of the fallen fleet, giving the admiral complete control over his sailors with a relic known as the Crown of Bones. Molagbal was responsible for the destruction of the Bosmeri city of Gilvardel at the end of the First Era when he was summoned by the King Drozel of Sential. Molagbal consumed the souls of all mortals present day, present that day, leaving nothing more than the charred remains of the town, town's once mighty Grot Oak. His corrupting influence lingered into the Second Era. The disaster of it, at, the disaster at Gilvardel was the catalyst that sparked the conception of the Cold Harbor Compact, which you should be familiar with that by now. Molagbal was present at the meeting where Sothasil sealed his framed bargain with the powers of oblivion and agreed to the terms of the living god set. Alright, let's talk about the second era here. So, <sighs> this is where a lot of it's going to be. So, Molagbal is rumored to be responsible for the creation of the first soul gems. This theory appears to have some grain of truth to it. Manamarco and his cohorts, believing that the harvester held the secret of to trapping many souls, stole the first black soul gems from Cold Harbor sometime after the King of Worms' expulsion from the Arteum. In Second Era 582, Molag attempted to merge Nurn with this plane of Cold Harbor, an event known as the Plane Meld. I talked about that earlier. However, this campaign was halted by the Vestige, a last-ditch effort to claim the, Mun claim the Mundus for his own occurred not long after. While his forces occupied the city of, sorry, the Imperial City, the Order of the Black Worm and an offshoot of the Legion traders dubbed the Legion Zero served beneath Molagbal's Daedric minions to invade them and maintain control over the city. So this is talking about the uh, Imperial City PvP area, I which I haven't done much of, but it is cool to see the Imperial City and, you know, in the second era, but yeah, it's overrun by Molagbal's minions, and there's a PvP aspect where you can actually be killed by other players, and they will gain all of the stuff that you've picked up. And um, yeah, I don't do it very often, but basically, yeah, you start out in the Imperial City sewers, and that's kind of where the safe zones are. But uh, Molagbal arranged to have biological weapons produced in the Imperial City prison. So the, the city's citizens were to be brought to the prison and delivered to the prison's flesh sculptor, a powerful necromancer who held mastery over flesh. The sculptor would turn mortal skin and organs into carriers for plague disease, creating flesh devices that would spew noxious clouds to contaminate the earth around them. 
Molagbal's generals planned to destroy a thousand of these siege engines throughout the city, ending the alliance war and turning the tide in Molagbal's favor. Um, it also talks here about how uh, Molagbal's minions had converted Baratham Centra, the city, the central hub of the city's sewers beneath the White Cold Tower, into a terminus for portals to Cold Harbor. And Molagbal sought to locate and destroy the sublime brazier so that the dragon fires could never be lit again. Uh, this plot, along with the ritual known as the plain mold uh, verse, uh, which involved an Elder Scroll, were also foiled. Um, it also talks here about how the plot to house, um, sometime prior to uh, House Gardener's fall, Prince, Princess. Violetta of uh, House Gardener used the Birdsong Tower as her garden spot. It was a pleasant place just west of Wayrest where flowers bloomed and birds sang and Moagbal was offended by the tower's joyous environment, of course he was, and sent a plague of undeath to profane it. The Birdsong Tower became known as Soul Shriven Tower, a house cu uh, curbed uh, sorry, a hero curbed the tower's undead infestation. So um, you actually go and take care of that. Molagbal was also responsible for cursing the town of Westry at some point between uh, Second Era 220 and Second Era 582. The town was invaded by Nord raiders, and the priest, a priest of Stendar, sought to aid, uh, sought aid from his god, and he was answered by Molagbal instead, of course. <laughs> So he begged the prince to save Westry, and Molagbal subsequently cursed Westry with undeath. The curse was lifted by the Vestige, so that's another quest in ESO that you can go do. Um, that same year, Abagandra, the lightest, sorry, the lightless remnant of the Doomcrag, was given to Molagbal and transported to his realm to prevent it from devastating Rivenspire with a plague of vampirism. So. That's all in the second era, so it's not just the main quest that he's involved in. Let's talk about the third era. So, uh, in uh, somewhere around third era 405, in exchange for power, Molagbal tasked the agent of the blade. So this is the events of Daggerfall. Um, so you're tasked with eliminating the heretic mage who drew from his power without invoking his name. So in 2nd Era 427, that is the events of Morrowind, Molagbal asked the Nerevarine to banish the, a lazy Daedroth minion named Menta Nan to the Outer Realms, where he would be punished bun uh, for not wrecking havoc as he was created for. So during the Oblivion Crisis, Molagbal spread corruption by having the champion of Cyrodiil incite a local pacifist to murder. Yeah, that's so fake. I don't remember if I've done that or not. I'm sure I have, because I do remember having um, the mace. So, yeah, it had to have... I had to have done that at some point. All right, so let's talk about Skyrim. So, in 4th Era 201, Moagbal's presence haunted a home within the city of Markarth and attracted the attention of a priest of Stendar who came to purify the residents. The last dragonborn offered to assist, and when the, the pair entered the home, Molagbal trapped them in there, and he forced the dragonborn and the priest to fight to the death. And the dragonborn prevailed, proving themselves the stronger of the two. So with the dragonborn having passed this test, the priest gave them a task. He offered them the mace, and um, 
So it's an incentive to capturing the soul of a priest of Boethia who had been desecrating Malagbal's shrine. And the hero complied with the quest. So not only do you kill him, you kill him multiple times. Malagbal keeps resurrecting him just so you can kill him again. It's pretty sadistic. And uh, <laughs> that that's what it, that was the first instance where I was like, yeah, if Malagbal were actually you know real. I'd be terrified every moment of every day. <laughs> that was the first time that thought really crossed my mind. Just going in and doing that quest. I'm like, God damn, this guy's... Yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with him. So there's a little bit here about Molag Ball's appearance. So um, he's been depicted by in several different ways by sculptors who construct shrines dedicated to him. So... If you see what Molag Ball looks like, he's pretty distinctive. He's got fangs, he's got horns coming out uh, the sides of his head. They kind of, he's got goat-like legs, he's got elven ears. Um, yeah, it, I, I mean, you just take a look at some of the pictures that I posted on social media, including the uh, picture that uh, announces that this episode is live. Um, yeah, he's he's pretty distinctive. But yeah, um, not too long ago, I beat the main quest for the second time, so I posted some screenshots of that, and a lot of those include Molag Ball. So um, just a little bit here about Molag Ball's behavior. I think we've covered that pretty well. Um talks a little bit here about uh, what Varen Aquilarius did during the plane meld. Um, I'm not really going to get into him because there's some spoilers to the main quest if I talk about who Varen Aquilarius is in ESO. Um, there's a little bit here about the Soul Shriven, so let, let's talk about that a little bit. So some uh, some mortals have had their force of will completely sapped as a result of Molag Ball tampering with their mind. Um, such was the case with the infamous uh, pirate Captain Blackheart, whose entire crew was transformed into undead slaves. He was cursed with a relic the crew had plundered and spoke to him, claiming to be Molag Ball. The prince uttered a spell transforming the crew and making them unable to disobey their captain's orders, and the captain fell utterly under Molag Ball's control. Captain Blackheart never slaughtered those he plundered until he fell under the prince's grasp, and Molag Ball proceeded to kill hundreds of innocents with Captain Blackheart's hands, tormenting him with fleeting memories of independent thought. So, yeah, basically... Yeah, your your will is just completely gone. Um, technically, I think um, Cadwell is considered a soul shriven, but he's got his own will there still. So I don't know how he was able to withstand all that. And he loves being in Cold Harbor. Like he he gets uh, upset when he's in uh, Nern, when he's in Tamriel for too long. So uh, let's talk about Molag Ball's relationship with other entities. So it says here that uh, the politics of Oblivion are complex. Of course they are. Alliances come and go and what each daedric prince thinks of one another is largely unknown. However, Molag Ball is 
a few clearly defined relationships with other princes, particularly Meridia, and obviously they aren't fond of each other at all. Uh, Meridia hates undeath, and Molagbalo actually has caused quite a bit of undeath. So Molagbalo reveals, uh, sorry, revels in undeath and destruction, whereas Meridia believes that the sanctity of life energy is, is not to be perverted. And both are very have a very strong distaste for free will, but these fundamental beliefs are the foundation for their bitter rivalry. So the two have antagonized each other throughout the course of Tamrielic history. Meridia's role in halting the plain meld is prominent, a prominent example of this. I talked about that in the last episode where I talked about Meridia. So um, during the same time as the events of ESO, Meridia foiled Molagbal's efforts to use the Mortem Vivicus, a relic that siphons mortal souls and is capable of unleashing a storm of undeath. So this would be the second time that Meridia thwarted Molagbal's attempts to release Vivicus upon Tamriel. The first occurring in the first era during the time of Epigarlus and Daladil. Molagbal's worshippers plotted to harvest the souls of Meridia's faithful and unleash the Mortem Vivicus, um, its necromantic potential, and the Lady of Light destroyed the city in response. So, oh, wow. Um, let's see if there's... Yeah, there's a... Apparently Molagbal also has a bitter rivalry with Mayron's Dagon, and the two will thwart each other at every given opportunity. Malakath views Molagbal's desire for adulation as unnecessary, interpreting it as a weakness. The servants of Molagbal and Azura have tripped over each other's toes in the past. The most notably of such instances revolved around the priestess of Lady Azura, who had brokered peace between the groups of Valenwood, uh, whom Molagbal's minions were sent to divide and foil this plan. Uh, Molagbal doesn't just have conflicts with other princes, but the divines as well. Molagbal has a particular distaste for Arke, who is invoked when the souls of the bodies of deceased mortals are consecrated for burial. I can see that. Um, yeah, there's also the followers of Stendar, who oppose the god of schemes. Um, of course, Molagbal sees Boethia as a rival. So, I mentioned earlier that Molagbal is uh, responsible for vampires. Let's, that's not a part of this article, but I did want to touch base on that. So, it says here that the first, there's a quote from uh, Serana in Skyrim, and it says that the first vampire came from Molagbal. She was not a willing subject, but she was still the first. So, it says here, um, Apasculus... Lame ball ta mesmortia mesmorte I, I that is a really long and complex word uh, not word but uh, phrase I guess it's a name um, this person tells of how the curse of vampirism came about owning its creation to the data repentance Molag ball the tale goes that Molag ball disliked RK um, and showed great who showed great pride in his sphere of influence the cycle of life and death. So Molagbal traveled to Tamriel, uh, which was still newly formed at the time, so this must have been during the Dawn Era, um, where he savagely raped a Nidic priestess of Arcade named Lame Belafug, um, 
and <laughs> departed Nern. Lemay was found to found and nursed by nomads who noticed that her mangled body was affected by some sort of corruption. Her wounds began to heal and the nomads attempted to cremate her and on the night of her cremation she rose from her funeral pile and pyre and brutally murdered the nomads. Lemay's curse spread around uh, spread across Tamriel in one form or another making a mockery of Arke's beloved sphere. Since then, many mortals have made packs with Molagbal to become vampires, giving rise to new bloodlines, which uh, Lord Harkin and his family were part of that. So, the beginnings of vampirism have variations in the Tribunal Temple Doctrine, with Molagbal spawning the first, the first vampire from a defeated foe, such as a, a Daedra Lord, a Temple Saint, or a powerful beast. There are various, uh, sorry, variations in belief of the origins of vampires, but not all can be traced back to Malibal, or even Daedric origins, as some stories claim vampires can be created by mortals tinkering with magic. The temple, sorry, the people of the Iliac Bay region believe that vampires are created by other, by either magical artifacts or a curse of a wizard. Dunmer nationalists, uh, nationalists in the Third Era held that the scourge of vampirism originated in the West through necromancy and couldn't possibly be native to Vardenfell, as the Tribunal Temple did everything in its power to suppress vampires. This point of view may come from the Temple propaganda and the Dunmer culture, their hatred of necromancers and foreigners who blame who they blame for bringing necromancy to their homeland. So yeah, in in Vardenfell, when you're playing Morrowind, I want to say there's four different vampire clans. You know, in Cyrodiil, when you're playing Oblivion, there's only one. But each vampire clan has its own characteristics. And that's kind of like how vampire lords in Skyrim are different from the standard vampire strain. They're like, I think it's Sanguinous Vampirus or something like that. So, um, yeah, each strain of vampirism has... And that's why I love the book Immortal Blood so much in the um, Elder Scrolls games. Because it kind of tells you what each vampire clan's characteristics are. So, um, vampiric infestation can be achieved through alchemy. In Secondary 582, a member of the Sapiarts reported the effects of porphyric hemophilia which is the clan uh, the vampire strain that you actually find in oblivion um so the effects of porphyric hemophilia alchemically and administered the concoction to a sailor infested infected with ostracaic fever I, i don't know so the sailor was infected with vampirism and cured of the yeah, that's one of the things that uh, that strain does. It makes you immune to other diseases. As all vampires do, the sailor experienced a thirst for blood. Whether or not she needed to feed to survive as other vampires do is unknown. So alchemy can also be used to tinker with various uh, bloodlines. An alchemist known as Lady Asinia um, used azure plasm um, while experimenting with different bloodlines to create a strain known as Chaotica Vampiris, 
which begets monstrosities known as blood knights. This strain is only infected with those already afflicted with vampirism, and vampires infected with this condition transform into tall, pale monstrosities and are unable to restrain their more basic instincts. So, um, yeah, that is um, vampirism in a nutshell. It's, you know, those that are uh, at least, you know, I guess it's not just attributed to Molech Ball, but most uh, legends that have to do with vampirism attributed to Molech Ball. So let's talk about his artifacts. So there is the Crown of Bones, which I mentioned earlier. It is It was created by Molech Ball for the Admiral of the Lost Fleet, and it was a crown that allowed the wearer to control the skeletons of sailors whose ships were dragged into the maelstrom of Ball. And then there is the Mace, which we all know and love. So the Mace of Molech Ball is also known as the Vampire's Mace. It is a Daedric artifact attributed to Molech Ball, the Lord of Domination and Enslavement. Its enchantment drains the stamina and magic of its victims and transforms them to the bearer. Or sorry, transfers them, not transforms them. It has also been known to have the ability to transfer the enemy's strength to its wielder or trap their soul. It has been said to be a good weapon of, cho of choice for vanquishing wizards. Many legends surround the mace, but its origins can be traced back to when Molag Ball deceived an orcish blacksmith and enslaved him in the pits of Cold Arbor. The blacksmith was turned into a soul shriven and was forced to forge the mace. Due to Molag Ball's penchant for meddling in mortal affairs, he grants the mace to those he deems worthy, but has also been quite free with his artifact. Molech Ball assumes that when such a powerful artifact falls into mortal hands, a trail of death and destruction is sure to follow, which, yeah, that's true. Some believe the mace to be an object of Daedra worship, and Molech Ball's followers refer to it as the Master's Mace, and, is, and often swear by it. Alright, so I talked about the Mortem Vivicus earlier, so here's a little bit about it. So, the Mortem Vivicus was a powerful weapon created by Molech Ball. It was a weapon, sorry, it was a massive spell that was capable of holding and harnessing thousands of souls and could destroy all of Tamriel if it were released. You actually see this in ESO. So, it had no physical form, instead appearing as a large orb of cold light. It was originally given to the Aeliad King Enumeral of Abagarlis, a... Daedrophile um, settlement, settlement in the city isle and was dedicated to Ball. So here is a little bit about the Harvest Hearts. So the Harvest Hearts are artifacts that Molag Ball uses to enslave large communities and empower specific parts of his divine portfolio. During the Plain Meld, the Vestige destroyed a heart within a portion of Cold Harbor known as the Orchard, a large graveyard full of vampires. Yes, I remember that. That particular heart greatly increased the rate at which vampirism spreads and turned a few of Cold Harbor's invasion force on its own into the bloodfields. That while the heart was still intact, the vampires in the orchard were completely under Molag Ball's control, unable to disobey their orders to protect the area. So here it also talks about the Stones of Cold Fire. 
the seven stones of cold fire are artifacts that were that were gifted directly from Molagbal and distributed throughout the Daedric ruins on Vardenfell that were dedicated to the Lord of Lies. These stones hold the power to summon and compel Daedra. They were also used during the Intrigum by Mistress Dratha to make a deal with Dramora named Zykinas to prolong her life. These stones were located at Ashalmalia. That is an interesting word. Uh, Balur. Estonimus, I think it's Kustapashi. Ramak Milk, um, Jan Siramis, and Tusanend. Those words were very difficult to pronounce. I probably butchered the hell out of them. The stones have polished have a polished black surface and are cold to the touch. Blue flames swirl within them. So here's a bit about vampiric shards. Vampiric shards are foul relics that corrupt whatever they come in contact with. When the Saxhiel village of Haj Yuxenwith, um, so Saxhiel are the names that Argonians have for themselves, in case you didn't know. Um, so this village was brought to Cold Harbor. Molagbal gave the Argonians one of these crystals to keep the Hist alive. It was the only thing sustaining the Hist in Cold Harbor's inhospitable soil. Over time, the shard poisoned the Hist, and the Hist was dying, but the shard kept it from passing, forcing it to endure constant torment. So let's talk about Cold Harbor. So you actually get to um, explore Cold Harbor extensively in ESO, um, much more than you do the Deadlands in Oblivion. In Oblivion, you just kind of explore little pockets of cold Har- of uh, the Deadlands, but you actually you can travel to Cold Harbor and basically explore it for as far and as much as you want to. So, Cold Harbor is a realm of oblivion created and ruled over by Molagbal, the Prince of Domination. As it befits his sphere, Molagbal's realm is a desolate, apocalyptic image of Nern, which is achieved by both mocking imitation and outright theft of parts of the mortal realm. It is inhabited by Daedra and eternally tormented husks of mortals called soul-shriven. Mortals who made deals with the, with Molagbal can also be found living in Cold Harbor. The souls of vampires are sent to Cold Harbor when they die, and Cold Harbor has been described as a manifestation of fear and exploitation. So, yeah, the colors are a lot of blacks, a lot of blues, a lot of purples. Um, It's a really dreary-looking place. So there's another library in Cold Harbor that is slightly less accessible. It is Molagbal's personal collection, located in a stronghold. The shelves in Molagbal's library span entire cliffs and run deep into a chasm. Unsurprisingly, plenty of books in his shelves are very disturbing. Yeah, I can imagine. So, the realm possesses several qualities that function as security measures. Um, Things that teleport themselves into Cold Harbor will will find uh, themselves scattered and ending up in locations they didn't intend to land. Magical constructs known as Cold Harbor Sentinels are used by Molag Ball to guide his vision into Cold Harbor. 
with their aid, he can see into whatever prison they're anchored in. These sentinels are magically connected, so destroying one will blind the other sentinels. Blind the other sentinel it was bound to. Cold Harbor mostly consists of prisons, but other facilities include those that were research is uh, conducted. He is fascinated by metamagical technology of soul gems and is often has a mystical research project or two going on. Not every project in Cold Harbor serves practical use and there are a lot of graveyards in Mulligwell's Plane of Oblivion that are there for no other reason than because he just likes to look at them. Um, he has a lot of servants that are mentioned here. There's a uh, Zivikin, there's Dramora, there's Clan Fears, Daedroth, uh, Grievous Twilights, Titans, Cold Flame Atronox. Yeah, you see a lot of those. They're like Flame Atronox, but they're blue. Uh, there's Bankin, Harvesters, Ogrims, Scamps, Watchers, Wing Twilights, Zivili, uh, Spider Daedra, which are. It's kind of surprising because those are mainly attributed to Mafala. Uh, dark seducers are found in his service um, so yeah he's got a lot of servants that are that are there so uh, Dramora among his servants are divided into two clans there's death bringers and fool killers um, they struggle against each other for prominence within the uh, Molag Ball's ranks during the interim the death bringers were at the forefront of this struggle their uh, Valkanas was a trusted servant of Molagbal, who tasked himself with finding and guarding the key to the prince's inner sanctum, and he had access to the Daedric prince himself. Um, you know, let's see here. The rules go that govern Molagbal's minions are outlined in the two doctrines. There's the 701 Edicts, which is the primary set of rules, and then there's the mandatory codicils that cover special cases so um, yeah there's a lot more here um, but there's a list of books in this article that you can read that talk about it so that really is it as far as Molag Ball there's some spick there's some uh, pictures here of what he looks like over the years the first one is in Daggerfall where he's actually green um yeah, I've never seen him look like that before. But, yeah. Um, definitely, definitely, if you haven't checked out ESO, you get to know Moak Paul quite well in that game. And there's actually a picture here of what a sentinel looks like. It kind of looks like a giant eye. Almost like a Sarah... Or, uh, yeah. The eye in... Um, the Lord of the Rings, almost. So, yeah, um, that really is it as far as Molag Ball goes. And next up, we will talk about Namira. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to that because I don't really know a lot about Namira. So, that'll be a learning experience for us all. So, I'd like to thank The Hive as always for sponsoring this podcast. I know I forget to thank The Hive. Um, every so often but yeah um, definitely thank the hive for sponsoring this podcast and if you would like to get a hold of me you can find me on twitter and instagram at iangold08 that's my personal page you can find the show at tamriel p you can find me 
on um, Discord. I'm on Discord quite a bit. I don't mention that quite a bit, or I don't mention that hardly at all. Um, you can also find my other shows. There's Nintendo where we talk about uh, Nintendo stuff, and then there's uh, Tapes from the Waste where we talk about Fallout lore. We should be doing an episode here pretty soon. We just released an episode on the Mothman, which is kind of timely considering that the Mothman Equinox is going on right now. Um, also, you can find me in game. So I mentioned that um, earlier. I got to do some events with other people. So I don't normally play games with other people. I'm used to playing games solo. And I think that going and watching that Rock'em Sock'em event with uh, the Elgato Pub and Jessica Starr was there. And then I did the Mothman Equinox event with and, uh, Andrew from the Fallout feed. That's kind of like, yeah, I love playing solo games, but I was, you know, I got really burnt out with Fallout 76, and that kind of breathed new life into the game. So if you'd like to play ESO with me or uh, Fallout 76 or anything else, just look me up on Xbox. Um, Xbox, uh, my Xbox name is Sulior, um, obviously. So yeah, just look me up on there. Um, there may be some other... Uh, group games that I'd play. I'll probably be playing some Grounded here with Durka pretty soon. Um, I do have no, no Man's Sky. I don't play it very often. But yeah, I'd be totally open to playing games with other people on Xbox. Uh, mainly Xbox. I don't play on PC much anymore. So yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. That is it as far as this episode goes. I'm going to get out of here because I've been going on for almost an hour and a half now. And yeah. So as always, stay safe adventurers.